You're listening to the Midwest Marketing Orange Hour podcast with your host, Brett Matice. All righty. Usually I ask like a, a fun little question or something, but I think we're going to have a lot of fun little questions along the way in this one. <laughs> so we'll just get right into the thick of things. Can you tell everybody who you are, where you come from, and what you do? I'm Craig Baltzer. I'm the executive director of the Rushmore Plaza Civic Center. And where do I come from? I was born and raised in uh, South Dakota, the wrong side of the state, as people will say. Which is really contentious stuff, as I've learned coming from the outside, that the East versus West River thing is very real. Uh, Under normal circumstances, I'm very happy to be living on this side of the state, the beautiful side of the state. Um, I will tell you that more recently with the coronavirus, I'm extremely happy to be living on this side of the state. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. We've done a fairly good job of keeping everything uh, kind of buttoned up over here uh, compared to the east side, which, again, is not totally anyone specific's fault, but it is just kind of running through them a little bit more over there, isn't it? Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I haven't lived in South Dakota. When I came here five years ago, I hadn't lived in South Dakota in 30 30 years. Where are you from in East South Dakota? I'm, I'm actually from Sioux Falls. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went to school at U- University of South Dakota, and then I, I left the state after that and been away for a long time, living in many other places, and, and now I'm back. Always doing event-type stuff or kind of all over the board? Doing event stuff. I spent about seven to eight years touring with shows right out of college, um, traveled uh, this country many times over, and... Uh, Places like uh, Mexico and Canada and uh, United Kingdom and a little bit into Europe. And I uh, uh, got done with being, living out of hotel rooms and living that vagabond lifestyle. And I uh, uh, got a job, and my first job was in Tampa, Florida, uh, being a manager of a venue there. And uh, grew, got promoted, uh, managed venues in South Texas, too, and Idaho, and now here. Awesome. So is there, obviously, um, I'm a country music guy, so Texas, and especially South Texas, has some iconic venues. Um, Were you involved with anything like that down there in the country music scene, or were they smaller or bigger, somewhere in between? I I visited all those iconic uh, uh, honky-tonks, you know, rooms that, uh, you can't even really call them a room. Um, They're just kind of a gigantic screened-in porch. I visited all those, but no, I was running a typical brand new build arena in uh, Laredo, Texas. It was a 10,000 seater. Um, uh, it was uh, under construction when I first got there and, and saw the end of this construction of that and, and then uh, did the first five years of uh, running that venue and it was a, a unique culture there. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was an adventure. Um, but it wasn't my home, and I kind of longed to go back up north, so that's when I took a job in Boise, Idaho, in Nampa, Idaho, actually, uh, just outside of Boise, and uh, ran a 12,000-seat arena and uh, a large amphitheater and uh, equine park, a horse park. Oh, for sure. Very yeah. cool. But you said brand-new arena down in Texas. Speaking yeah. of brand-new arenas, yeah. see that that's what we're awesome for, right? segue right there? Yeah. <laughs> um, we got a brand-new arena coming to Rapid City, uh, the Monument. Um, as it's called. Can you kind of walk people through the first, you know, when this was just an idea, when it was brought up as like, we should do this to where we are today with, as I've seen, as I was just driving by, we got walls going up. So can you walk people through that process? Well, the idea was born from long before I got here, um, uh, years before I got here. Uh, 
the idea was born um, in kind of the following the history of Rushmore, or I'm sorry, uh, Barnett Hall, Barnett Arena, and what it used to be and what it's limited to today. And so they were noticing the fall off of business there, I believe. And I believe I have this history, right? I wasn't here for this part. Um, but uh, there was a recognition that um, the venue size and shape were outdated. It didn't have some of the facilities um, that uh, modern events need to have. Um, and uh, it just was not performing on the level it used to. Um, when they built the ice arena, they built it primarily to hold hockey. Um, so that was not also a multi-purpose reason or it didn't have some of the same things that you needed to have a very good multi-purpose venue in it. So there was a recognition of this, and I believe that they set out on a pace to uh, uh, build a new property. There actually was a vote. That vote did happen after I got here. I came in the ninth inning of that effort, and it was a, a larger plan. Um, it was a hybrid stadium arena. Um, it was large enough to put a football field in there and play football games. Um, it could have been divided in half to make two spaces out of it. Um, um, it was probably a little bit grand uh, for, for the project here in Rapid City. And um, so when that vote failed, uh, we turned to look at what would a realistic idea of a venue would be at that point in time. And uh, that's when, you know, Mayor Allender had just gotten elected and him and I had several meetings about it. And uh, that's where it was born from. Very cool. So now we've, you know, go through the whole design process. You guys work with several architects. You work with one and you choose one that you look at their portfolio. How do you go about deciding what this thing is going to look like? Well, so uh, knowing that we might have had a project, this was pre the vote on this on this arena, knowing that we might have a project coming, um, we enlisted um, um, several architects and even builders that we knew would bid on the project if it came to fruition. And uh, just working with them, we were able to come up with some concept designs and that kind of a thing. So we were already working with uh, a few different uh, architectural firms on that. And then um, certainly we went through a bid process um, and uh, right before the election. Um, once the election was in and the project was a go, that allowed us to hire uh, the selected bid process uh, uh, architect and builder. And we hired uh, Perkins and Will um, and their office out of Denver. Uh, they've built many arenas um, uh, around the country and uh, uh, those kind of entertainment facilities is kind of their, their focus, um, that office in Denver. And uh, in fact, they built the Sioux Falls Arena, which by the way, had no bearing on, on uh, selecting them. But they had a, a nice ability to build what is considered that mid-size, you know, 10 to 12,000 seat arena, not the 20, you know, 25,000 seaters. Um, they had a very nice uh, uh, background for that kind of a thing. So we, we chose them. And uh, they've been, uh, I'm going to tell you, before we even hired them, they've had so many conceptual designs on my desk. Um, and a lot of it, our staff at the Civic Center and I were so involved because 
We could not miss a beat on those shortcomings of the Barnett Arena. That was what was important. What was important is bringing the business back to town. Um, some of these shows now that Sioux Falls has their new arena and the, uh, the uh, Billings Arena has always been built of those size and magnitudes. Uh, we had a lot of great events uh, driving on the interstate right through here and not stopping because they, they couldn't fit their production in our building. Absolutely. So can you give us kind of the specs of like how many people, like what is the seating capacity? Obviously, we got multiple use, so it's going to vary a little bit. But what's the general kind of capacity and some of the other big specs on, on the new arena? Sure. Uh, so the, the specs that are most important uh, to uh, attract some of those shows, uh, a lot of them have to do with dimensions. But let's uh, seating is definitely part of it. The real biggest concern was uh, for seating capacity was end stage uh, 180 degree configuration. That's 180 degrees off the front end of the stage, um, uh, and you sell everything in front of that line, right? And behind that line, you got to kill it. And kind of that magic number to get the Carrie Underwoods and get the uh, uh, modern shows, which we had Carrie Underwood back in the day here, but now her modern show does not fit, um, is to get 10,000 seats in that situation um, um, or more. So we designed off that parameter. Now in the round, you know, that place, you know, fully packed could, is going to be able to hold 11,500. That number was not important. Um, um, it's not important because uh, the, it would be a rarity where that's a, a large importancy. And, and to be honest, as long as that number is over 10,000, you're good as well. Uh, but that end stage 180 degree configuration was important. Um, also, the dimensions are important. A floor length and width, 200 feet long, um, 85 feet wide, was important for many, many events. For other events, that lower ring of seating all the way around has to be telescopic. So we can expand the floor from 17,000 square feet to over 30,000 square feet. That gives us a lot more range. In fact, the design of this, uh, putting us over 30,000 square feet floor, um, is uh, bigger than the floor at the Pepsi Center in Denver or bigger than the floor in the Target Center in Minneapolis because for us in South Dakota, the kind of events that we're attracting, that, that flexibility in expanding that floor to that size helps us get other events and, and different kinds of events. I'm talking about trade shows and, and things like that. Um, um, we're able to uh, squeeze more in there, and we have very large trade shows here. So uh, that was important. Um, probably one of the most important numbers is 75 feet from the floor to low steel. Um, uh, uh, current facilities are at around 50 feet, and uh, uh, there's hardly any show that I know of that the requirements aren't at least 65, and most of them are starting to go to 70 feet. And that's because of all that video production and all that. The shows have changed over the years, but our buildings that were built back in the day have not changed. So that was a big one. Um, probably the loading dock is a big de deal too. Uh, both of our arenas can only unload one truck at a time. Um, now these shows, um, some of them are traveling 15, 18, 20, 22 trucks. In order to, for those shows to show up at eight o'clock in the morning, unload their trucks, set up their show, and perform at seven o'clock that night, you need to be able to unload multiple trucks at a time. Um, you got to be able to do it quickly. And to get them on the road to the next city, you got to pack it out quickly. So 
the new arena is going to have four loading docks um, uh, reserved for these shows themselves. So that's another parameter. And they talk about locker room, dress room space. Remember, these shows are on the road. When they show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, they spend all day here. They need catering. They need uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You need a place to do that. And our current facilities didn't have any of that. So we were able to um, uh, uh, accommodate the events better with uh, the new build arena. So it will. It'll be able to attract some good shows. I agree. And I think the, well, one, the loading and unloading of the trucks when the shows come in, I found that just fascinating. I know we talked about that like a year ago. And I was yep. like, that is, is really fascinating. And then um, what I just found out right now is that you can expand your floor by almost double is just absolutely insane. Yep. Um, like you said, in attracting those uh, like more non-typical events, you know, when people think arenas, they think concerts and sporting events, but you're talking trade shows and, and other things like that is really interesting too. Right. I mean, that, at the the Civic Center and, and, and every arena in the country, their business is not just large crowds and uh, the, those floor events. But like I said, when you went to the Pepsi Center or the Target Center, that was not their prime duty because there's other venues in town that hold those kinds of events. Here in Rapid City, we try to hold them all at the Civic Center, and uh, that floor space was very important. Yeah, so obviously this is a huge expansion for you guys. Has the Civic Center seen any expansions kind of similar to this in the past? I know this is obviously the biggest, but I mean, I know you're somewhat new. Like you said, you came in in the ninth inning of this thing, but in your memory, do you remember anything like that? Well, obviously no expansion like this in the time that I've been here. But, I mean, over the years, the Civic Center has had uh, several aggressive points. I mean, uh, it it originally was the Barnett Arena, uh, LaCroix Hall, and the theater. Um, And, uh, you know, at one point in time in the 80s, they expanded to include Rushmore Hall and the additional Rushmore Hall rooms upstairs. Um, that is one of our busiest rooms. In fact, Rushmore Hall is probably our busiest room at the Civic Center. It is so useful in many different ways, and you can configure it. We can have cattle in it one day and, uh, and uh, a high-end banquet two days later. You know, That's that- the most South Dakota sentence you'll say right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we don't, we don't serve the steaks uh, as the cattle are leaving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's uh, <laughs> but uh, the room is um, um, really, really well designed that way. Uh, it is uh, probably the only place in town where you can serve that many people at once, 1,000 people or 1,200 people or 1,500 people. Um, so it's a, a big deal for large catering events and that kind of thing. But it's Stock Show and Rodeo put their cattle in there. We run soccer tournaments in that building. We run um, uh, uh, trade shows, and it's part of the sportsman's show in there, or the home and garden show use that room along with other spaces. It's been so useful in so many different ways um, for everything from sports, even to small little club level type of concerts. They've played them in there with, you know, 500 or 800 people. They've done that over the years. So that room is extremely flexible in so many ways and is probably one of the busiest rooms. Um, But uh, so that got expanded in the 80s, you know, and then uh, they added the ice arena uh, in the early 2000s, I think 2007, 2008, I guess. Um, um, they ended the ice arena. So there's been aggressive uh, uh, add-ons to this in the past. Um, and, and one thing I'd like to say, I mean, we are building this arena to kind of take place of what the Barnett used to be for us. Um, a lot of people are asking the question of, well, what are you doing with the Barnett? Are we getting rid of the Barnett arena? And actually, no, we're, we're actually going to keep it because even though we can't really use it as an arena anymore after we build this new one, um, uh, because it's it's literally 
you know, millions and millions of dollars to uh, keep up with the ADA codes and everything else in that building. Um, but we can use it as floor space. And that is a, a thing that's, um, it's, it's a very, it's a commodity that you, you can't find enough of right now. Uh, when you talk about uh, how often our Rushmore Hall is booked, it is literally booked uh, just about every weekend uh, for four or five day events uh, year round. Um, and they book that room because it's floor space. Uh, when you talk about the uh, uh, stock show and rodeo or, or L&I tournament or things like that, they're using other, other gyms uh, in high schools and middle schools to hold their tournaments. That would give us one more space to put a, a basketball floor into. So um, uh, we're, we think we're going to have a lot of uh, business yet for Rushmore Hall. We're just not going to use it as a large seating arena. We'll be able to use it for maybe 1,500 seating and a floor event or something like that. So I think we're going to get use out of that. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, I drove by the other day, um, May 10th, I think. Uh, yeah, Sunday, May 10th. We got walls going up. Is it construction? Are we doing good? We're on time. I know construction can be kind of a pain every once in a while. Are we liking where we're moving? Yeah, I mean, right. I, I got to tell you, you got to be kind of happy where we're at, considering the the issue with the virus and where we're at in our in our state and in in our country on that right now. Uh, but construction um, projects around the country are are still moving, and ours is too. Um, the biggest concern there would have been labor. And uh, supply chain for for materials and uh, labor has been a little bit of a problem. Um, we've been short at times up to fifteen percent on labor on that site, but so far it hasn't been detrimental to the timeline, and we're able to uh, figure it out and suck it up. I, I'm hoping that that doesn't continue. I'm hoping that that um, uh, uh, stays on target. Uh, for us. Um, but the supply uh, line, we did some things up front when the coronavirus is a big issue. Um, since a lot of our events have been canceled, our parking lots have been empty, we, we uh, 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 got everything in. So shipping it here wouldn't be a problem. We're storing it in our parking lots, uh, put up some uh, uh, fence to, to secure it off. And uh, that was a really smart move by, by our contractor, Mortensen and locally Skull to uh, recommend that to us because we haven't had supply chain issues as of yet, knock on wood. Um, and, and you're right, uh, precast walls, the cement work is being done right now. We're gonna be working on cement through uh, uh, co the concrete through June. And uh, the uh, precast walls have started going up. Um, you're going to be seeing steel going up here probably next month. Uh, so the walls that you're seeing are, are really one level. They're going to be going up many more levels here pretty soon. Oh, that's really exciting. I know we talked a little bit about kind of some of the events that we're going to be seeing come through. With the new arena, are we going to be getting pulling those top-tier country act, rock acts that are coming through? Um, you know, like you said, they call Sioux Falls. Now seems to be a really popular spot for a lot of, of musicians and maybe onto Billings or, or even down into Denver, they kind of skirt us. Are we going to be able to pull some of them acts in with our new space? Yeah, you know, I, I, a lot of people, uh, they uh, cited about the business and say, oh, we can get that show, we can get that show. And it's all true. But, but the way the booking works is, and, and this makes sense to everybody once I tell them, but um, the way the booking works is that you're not just calling up the agent for uh, Bruce Springsteen and saying, 
we want to play your show on that weekend. I mean, first of all, he's got to be on tour. He's got to be on tour in the United States. Uh, he's got to be touring our part of the country because they watch their numbers and they try to line up their tours in a way that makes sense. Um, so there's all kinds of uh, opportunity there for us that we've been missing out on because with the new Sioux Falls building, there's been an added routing up through the northern Midwest. And uh, to be honest with you, Lincoln, Nebraska put up a new building um, uh, the year before Sioux Falls did. Um, the uh, Fargo Dome has been relatively busy since the 90s. Um, there's a routing. There just wasn't a routing west. They'd, they'd come out of Minneapolis, and they could go to Sioux Falls or Fargo, and then they'd have to go south to Lincoln and Omaha, and then maybe over to Denver, and they weren't going west. Um, but lately, uh, that Billings building, that's been there for a long time, um, has been getting a lot more action because they're looking for more of a northern routing. And they're looking across the bridge, across Montana, and into Boise, Idaho, and, and uh, uh, maybe onto Washington State, across the north. So that really opens us up. Um, if you think about these tours, and, you know, I just mentioned, you know, one off the top of my head, maybe it was Carrie Underwood or Bruce Springsteen or Taylor Swift or something like that. Um, you, it, it's tough even in big markets to play them every year. Uh, in, a, in a small market, you certainly wouldn't play them every year. But in a, even in a larger market, if Carrie Underwood played Omaha last year, it's tough for her to come, oh, well, now we're, we went from Des Moines to Omaha last year. Now we're playing Minneapolis Sioux Falls. Are, are we going to go to Omaha again? And, and their, their numbers, they'd like to give it a little bit of a rest before they go back to that town. So it really opens up a routing for us. And I'm telling you, the agents that I talk to, uh, think they're very excited about uh, a new building in Rapid City to create that routing that they're looking for. No, that is really exciting. And I would assume we're still going to host state basketball tournaments and all that stuff. And is that going to move into the new spot or are we going to host um, kind of how we have been doing? No, I, we'll be moving uh, events like that. Um, we, we are just now getting to a point where we can uh, uh, this summer start talking about final uh, 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 seating charts and that kind of a thing. We really needed to get further in construction before you can hire the seating company that installs all the seats. Um, so we, we didn't really have that. So we haven't really had those meetings with those groups yet. But but in preliminary discussions with all those groups, and if you talk about the state basketball tournament or the L&I tournament or, or Stockton Rotary, those large things that take over the entire Civic Center, um, absolutely they're all planning on being in the new building. They're very excited about it. In fact, they're excited about the additional space and maybe playing it in a different way than they've played it in the past. So uh, I think we're going to be able to accommodate all those events in a better way with the new building. Yeah, that's very exciting. And as we're talking about events here, we uh, obviously we know kind of country and rock reign supreme in Western South Dakota. It seems to be the two genres that really we pull in a lot and, and people listen to. Does that pose any like logistical problems for you as you're trying to bring in concerts does it make you feel like you got to be in a box or is it scary to go outside of those genres or how do you view that from your position so i you know i'll tell you what i mean that's i'm i'm a firm believer that in in rapid city um we can play just about every genre of music now we're going to do more country concerts than probably anything and we're going to probably do a lot of classic rock concerts and um, you know, but if, if I put a blue-glass event and maybe it's in the theater and not, not the arena, I think we can host it. You yeah, know? I'm all for that. I love bluegrass. <laughs> so so we, could, we could do just about every genre. Um, is uh, Urban Pop Acts uh, going to be here every month? No, that's, 
not our market. We are country's king here. Classic rock works very well. Some of the rock genres work very well here. A lot of that other stuff, you probably aren't going to have it as often. But I think we can do just about any genre here. Um, I often, when working with the agents and, and all that, and we get into these discussions, and they agree with me and all that, but what they keep bringing is stuff that is, A, routing through the upper Midwest and the mountain region, which tends to be a lot of country and rock, um, country and classic rock, and B, um, they're going back to what is tried and true for our region. So, you know, I always say this, you know, if you're excited about an event, um, find a way to get to it, especially if it's that non-country, non-classic rock event, because the more people that attend those, the more eyeballs are open, the more they'll bring more of that kind of stuff. Um, and so I often hear about people going, well, I should have went to that show. I really wanted to go and I had this thing. You know what? Find a way to go because it's important to be able to continue to bring back those kinds of events. I absolutely agree. So one thing that I find interesting and kind of want your perspective on is I really enjoy country music, but maybe the kind of country music I enjoy doesn't get played on country radio. It's kind of that underground Texas Appalachian scene where there is a big following from it, but it's not on the radio. Does that work where people come to you saying, hey, we would like you to have Tyler Childers on or Cody Jinks or maybe Whiskey Myers, who we had here a couple months ago, I think in November. Um, how does that work where people kind of who have that underground following and maybe not this huge following, do they come to you? Do you go to them? How does that work? So um, it's a little bit of both. I mean, uh, back in the old days when uh, you're talking about the 80s and you used to book, you used to wait for your phone to ring. And these days it's way too competitive for that. Um, so uh, we stay up with the uh, hot sheets, what the agents are kicking out. Um, I, I, I've got a good impression right now of what's going on in tour in the fall and the winter. And um, that'll spark a conversation between me and me and the agent. Um, but me and the agent aren't, aren't the ones at risk on the show. It is the promoter that's in between. So um, if the agent's got interest in bringing the show here, if the artist, if the band has interest in coming here, then, um, then it, it, it's a little bit easier when a promoter gets involved to sell the idea to that promoter. And, you know, right up your alley when you're talking about, by the way, um, um, I hate to say this, but right before the coronavirus, uh, uh, we were in talks with the Cody Jinx outfit. and mm, uh, That's a big bummer. <laughs> yeah. Oh. We, were, we were looking at having a summer Cody Jinx show, but that, that obviously is not going to happen now. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I'll say that and then I'll tell you this. You work on 20 shows and you get one. That's how, oh, I'm sure. yeah. that's how that works, too. But... Um, so, uh, uh, but for example, we've been working uh, more and more with uh, uh, Pepper Entertainment as a promoter out of Sioux Falls. They were the ones that brought Whiskey Myers here. Um, and they're very interested in uh, bringing that kind of entertainment, uh, different kind of entertainment um, uh, uh, to our market. And, you know, it's up to them to, A, they're the ones on the hook for the, the, the profit or the loss on it. Um, so they have to make a decision on, on that. But they're, they're evaluating our market demographically a little differently. Um, and they're seeing some of the younger attention to the market and, and that kind of thing. Trust me, we've been working on this for a long time. And we brought in some stuff that uh, 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 maybe it's more been on the theater level or maybe a half house arena level and not a full blown arena level yet. Um, but uh, we think there's a growing population for some of the stuff that you're talking about. 
or indie rock or that, you know, that kind of uh, younger demographic things. I, we do so many events that appeal to a certain age demographic, which tends to be older in this community. And I'd, I'd certainly like to uh, figure out um, and get some promoters interested in producing some shows here that are going to be more younger uh, generation. And uh, so we've been working on it the last few years, and we've got some good shows in, and I intend to bring in more. Yeah, that's awesome. The Cody Jinx thing breaks my heart a little bit, but, uh, you know, we'll live with it, and maybe someday it'll circle back around. Well, those those talks are not closed. So oh, of course. We'll, that's we'll, good. We'll keep it, keep it open. Awesome, awesome. So obviously we'd be kind of crazy to to talk and, and not talk about the coronavirus a little bit. Um, obviously it's, it's hit a lot of industries and a lot of people hard and in, in, in different ways as well. Um, live entertainment to me seems to be one that has taken it a little bit harder, whether that be the NBA shutting down as well as, I mean, all professional sports, um, lots of concerts being canceled well, well into the summer and the fall. Can you talk a little bit about why live entertainment seems to be taking the coronavirus impact a little more than maybe some other industries? Well, yeah, I mean, live entertainment is uh, standing or sitting shoulder to shoulder with each other. So there's no social distancing. Um, I've seen some of the plans to hold events and social distance, and uh, it would turn our theater um, into, uh, from a 1,700-seat venue into about a 225-seat venue, maybe a 235-seat venue. Um, and I don't know anybody who could afford to do that. It becomes something entirely different. And even as a person attending that event, it takes away from it. If I mean, yeah. yes, you maybe get to go and see whoever you get to see perform. However, maybe a little bit of it is being crammed in there a little bit with a bunch of fun screaming fans as well. Right, right. Um, another example would be our ice arena, which would see the theaters that way because you literally have 60 seats in a row without any aisle breaks. So you need to uh, put people in, maybe a family of four on one side and a family of four on the other side, and all the seats in the middle got to be empty because you can't put people there because when they get out to go to the bathroom, they have to cross over the other people. So you can't social distance. So um, um, even in the ice arena where there's a lot more aisle breaks and you don't have that many seats in a row, maybe 15 or 20 seats in a row, um, um, you, you still are cutting your, your uh, arena down by uh, 60 to 70%. And so you, your events come, they become something else. And I think that there are possibly some events, very few of them, but they could operate that way. But I don't think it's realistic long term. Um, uh, literally, our industry was probably the hardest hit immediately on this. Um, I mean, I'm going to tell you, everybody in our industry remembers the day the NBA said, we're canceling. That was a big one. Absolutely. That, that, after that, everything toppled. And uh, the, the frankly, uh, um, I think uh, our events, um, we're going we're gonna to get back. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but I don't see the six-foot bubble social distancing at events working very well for most events. And we might be able to make it at work for some so we're, we're just going to need to um, figure out a way. Now, will we disinfect more? Yes. Will we uh, maybe do food and beverage differently? Maybe there's more prepackaged food, that kind of a thing. Yes, we can look at all that kind of stuff. Um, um, but uh, I'm, I'm really concerned about crowds. So, you know, as far as we're concerned in our industry, uh, we're working for the day we can reopen and stand shoulder to shoulder. 
yeah, when that day comes, is that first concert, is there somewhat of a liability issue with that, with maybe you get up, you know, someone who goes, this is what caught, you know, it might not be you, but it's like that first big concert, is there like a little bit of that factor playing in is maybe that's why we're being extra cautious? Yeah, I mean, that's that would be the concern. I know, I know that there's, uh, in all the contracts going forward, there's going to be some new language in there about pandemics and, and that kind of a thing. Um um, I don't know what that picture looks like yet. Um, I got to tell you that, uh, you know, I've run buildings in, in bigger, uh, more, you know, trendier markets than, than here and even Idaho or Texas. I mean, when I was in Tampa, Florida, we had to be on the cutting edge of everything we were doing with a 20,000 seat professional arena that held, you know, a professional hockey team in it. Um, and in South Dakota, we've always enjoyed uh, let the big cities try that new new technology out and let them hone into it. And then once they've got that nailed down, then maybe we'll buy into that new technology or whatever. Because uh, nobody expects Rapid City to be first. But I'm going to tell you, with this pandemic, and considering the numbers of, of coronavirus in the major markets and, and that kind of thing, it's us B markets, and especially maybe in our part of the country, that actually might be first to reopen. And that is heavy in our minds for exactly the reason that you, you stated. Uh, so we got to do it responsibly. Um, uh, we do want to be at the point where we can stand shoulder to shoulder, but we've got to uh, not do it too early. We, 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 we certainly can't be the, the, the center of uh, a breakout. And um, uh, so when's the right time for that? And, and, uh, I don't know the way things are going lately. I, I I don't even know what to think about it. Maybe it's sooner than later. Um, um, but I'll tell you this: if I'm not booking events, I mean, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna have an event. If they decide everything can open up tomorrow, I, I wouldn't be ready for that. I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm not booking anything for tomorrow, so uh, we need some time ahead of time. So uh, I'd like to see where the prediction models go on that. And I think it's very possible that things do open up in the Midwest and mountain region before it opens up on the East Coast or the West Coast. I think it's very possible that it would happen that way. Yeah, I think so. I think that's very well said. There's definitely a, a level of unknowability to it. And I think being flexible and, and pragmatic, um, just like you kind of laid out there, is really ideal for any business, much less, you know, you guys as well. That's right. So um, obviously, what is our, our goal to host an event in the new arena when it is ready to go? Like what date are we looking at or month? As that comes along, so this is the uh, this is the date that we have. It's not a, 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 a hard date, and all the contracts. It was just the planned date on when we decided to do this. But it it, it still remains as October 1, twenty one. Um, now, does that mean I have a concert on that day? Well, I might not be able to get a concert until October twelfth, you know, or whatever. But we'll be potentially open for business on that day. Now, I always say this. With construction and where we're at right now, we'll probably know a lot more in six months from now, but g- give or take a month, you yep, know? Absolutely. So I've worked on I've worked on seven new arena builds in my life, um, and I'm going to tell you, uh, probably two or three of them opened up early, and the rest of them opened up late and yep. might not even been fully ready when they did open. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about construction. And um, they've been managing site pretty well. Winter was winter this year, and, and we had some weather events that uh, slowed down construction, but we had some of that built into the calendar. Um, we're feeling pretty good about that right now. So um, um, I would say probably next, uh, by January, we'll probably have a really good idea 
on where we're at on target on opening date. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll probably open with some, I don't know, some kind of local events, in-house, uh, uh, open house type of events, uh, so people can come in and see the uh, uh, facility and that kind of a thing uh, before we get into large performance events and that kind of a thing. So Absolutely. I think people listening, listeners would be mad if I didn't at least ask this question. And if you can't spill the beans, no problems. Um, obviously, that's a long way in the future, so you don't have anything probably officially scheduled, but is there anything in your mind like, I would love if this could be our first big event in this new arena? Oh, I, I've got a few in my <laughs> mind that I think would be perfect for, for here. And I'm going to tell you, nobody's shy about telling me what they think the first event oh, should I'm sure. be. Nobody's <laughs> shy about that. Um, uh, the, the honest answer is it's too early to be working on it yet. Um, we have certainly been in conversations and letting uh, agents and promoters know that we're going to be ready for business next uh, uh, fall of 2021. Um, and we wanted to make sure they're on the radar. Um, I've got one agent in Nashville that's got the picture of our building, the concept, uh, the, the, the rendering of our building up on his wall with the opening date circled on it. So he's all ready for it. Um, uh, but um, so it's too early to be working on it. So I guess my question to you, Brett, is what do you think it should be? Because... I have no idea. I'd say just in the broadest context, just like we were talking about, country seems to be our most popular now. So to pull in um, a high caliber, um, not saying him exactly, but like an Eric Church caliber Mm -hmm. country musician, I think would be a huge hit. And obviously, if you pulled in someone like Def Leppard, that would be also very, very popular. I think would sell out in a a matter of minutes. I think all those those shows are all possible. Um, and, and you know what, one of the things that I, I'm not even going to try to um, top Elvis Presley in 1977, opening the Barnett Arena and then him dying not too long afterwards. And therefore, one of the last places the king ever played was here. And he certainly was the king of entertainment at the time. He was uh, topping the charts and all that. That was a, an amazing booking and those kind of amazing bookings don't happen every day. So uh, uh, we're looking at it as, um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll look at it as an opening series of events. You know, um, back in 1977, you didn't have so much division in demographics of music. I mean, Elvis Presley is considered both country and rock at the Isn't time. Isn't he in the country rock and pop hall of fame? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And that was before everything split demographically so differently as it is today, and the music really split to be different. So um, um, I, I, I doubt that we'll be able to have that one iconic artist that would uh, please everybody in the community. Um, but rather than that, maybe what we'll look at is booking um, five or six events that uh, represent our community and do it over you know, a four-month period of time or something. And it's just ideas we're playing with and, and discussing about it. But yeah, it's going to be hard to live up to that standard. So yeah, I think that's a great idea. And if you want to see uh, Elvis at the Barnett when it opens, I believe there's clips on YouTube of that as well. Oh, the um, entire concert is on YouTube. Yeah, so yeah, people can From check that out. From the moment his limo shows up to the moment he's walking off stage, um, it's it's pretty amazing to see that. And you can really see the difference between a production back then. You know, Elvis Presley was top of the game back then. And literally everything that they put in that building, you'd fit on one semi-truck. 
And now you got productions. I mean, I did a Rolling Stones show uh, 15 years ago, and that was 32 semi-trucks. That's yeah. just ridiculous. Can you imagine going past that convoy down the <laughs> that, interstate? That's right. <laughs> no, that's crazy. I suppose before we log off here, uh, the last thing I got to ask you, have you catch, catching any fish lately or just going to start getting back into it now that things are getting warmer? Oh, I promised I wouldn't tell anybody this, but now that you ask me, <laughs> I, I had a great day yesterday, and the weather was not so no, happy. Yeah, it was pretty cold. Um, and but because of that, there wasn't very many other people out fly fishing, and and uh, I did. Uh, I went out to. Um, I drove all the way out to French Creek out in the uh, Custer Park, and and had the entire creek to myself, and uh, I, I had a, a friend there too, and and uh, we really did well. That's I mean, awesome. It, we had a ball. So. Um, you know, they, uh, as everybody's going crazy, social distancing and sticking in your house, there's, there's always that one thing you can go do. And, and I've been having a ball hiking my dogs and, and doing a little bit of fly fishing here and there. And there's no problem in social distancing in those scenarios. And so, uh, please everybody live your life. Uh, try to enjoy a little bit of time, whether it's outdoors or whether it's online and a zoom wine party with your friends do something fun and and don't let it drive you up the wall being limited on what you can do because uh we'll get over this and we'll be getting back to events and uh having a good time i can't wait to be doing it yeah i agree also i don't want people flooding your good fishing spot so i just want to say that i've fished french creek a couple times and i've struggled so that means like Craig is a better fisherman than probably you are if you're listening and definitely better than I am. So don't think you can just go to French Creek and just hit a honey hole because it's just not as easy as he makes it sound. But other than that, thank you for coming on. I do appreciate it, Craig. And thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Brett.